Would you take your Bibles with me and turn to Mark, the first chapter, Mark's Gospel, chapter number one. I want to begin reading this afternoon in verse 21, and we'll read down through verse 39. I'm just going to ask you to follow along. The Bible says, and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commandeth even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together to the door, and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, and when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much this afternoon for the Word of God. We read that it is forever settled in heaven. We read that the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We read that thou hast exalted thy word above all thy name. We read that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We read that it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we are commanded to preach the word and to be instant in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Thank you for giving us such a calling. Thank you for giving us such a book. Thank you that we read in this book of the eternal counsels of the living God that are forever settled in heaven. We pray that we would not approach this task, whether it's preaching or listening this afternoon lightly, but help us to redeem the time, knowing that the days are evil. Give to me, I pray this afternoon, Lord, fresh oil, fresh unction, a fresh touch from you. Help me to be able to say those things that you want this audience to hear today. Nothing more, nothing less. Help me, dear God, to have the presence and fullness and power of the Holy Spirit. Help each listener here today to be attuned to the message of God. Thank you, Father, that you know our downsitting and our uprising. You understand our thoughts afar off. Thank you that I can trust you today with the message to reach into the heart because you know each individual who's here today. You know what the need is. And I pray, Father, that you would just magnify your word today. 
May the word of the Lord be glorified and have free course in our midst. And I'll thank you for everything that you do today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I would like to follow up in this afternoon's message on the theme that I began yesterday morning, the pursuit of God. Today, what I would like to do is to hone in on a particular aspect of the pursuit of God, the aspect of prayer. You know, I'm amazed. There'd be many, many ways, of course, a person could preach on the subject of prayer. You look at church history and down through the course of time, and it really is amazing to see people whose hearts God has illuminated about the importance of prayer. I don't fit in their league. I'll confess that to you right away this afternoon. But I'm sure challenged by the many servants of God who have been led of God to see the earnest importance of prayer and who have exemplified it in their lives and whose writing can serve as an encouragement and a source of conviction to people like me and you. But if I'm really looking for inspiration on prayer, not to depreciate at all the human instruments that God has raised up over the years, I go to the Master. I title the sermon that I would like to bring to you this afternoon, Master prayer, because we're going to join the master in prayer. You know, it is interesting. On one occasion, Jesus' disciples came to him. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. I got to thinking about that a little bit in the context of this message. It really fired my soul. Because I thought to myself, you know, I'm a preacher. God has called me to do that. And I got to thinking, you know, what a humbling honor. What a, what a blessing it would be if somewhere along the way God raised up someone through our ministry or something of that nature and someone were to come and say, preacher, pastor, teach me how to preach. I would infer from that that they felt the example was such that they would want to emulate it in some way. And, and that would be a humbling and and a very rewarding thing to hear someone say. I, I guess if somebody said that, I'd say, wow. But if somebody came to me and said, Pastor, teach me to pray, I sort of wonder if that really wouldn't be one of the ultimate compliments that you could receive. I think I'd say, double wow. To think that Jesus' life, to think that his example in prayer as he lived it out before his disciples was so powerful, was so alluring, was so magnetic that those men came, humbled themselves and said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. I think there's a text in this passage of Scripture that I read to you this afternoon that we can join the Master at prayer. We're not going to get everything. There isn't time, and it's not all in this text anyway, but I'm going to try to give you four things. Look at verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. So what would it look like to see how the Master prays? And I have just the opportunity to share four things with you in this message this afternoon. Number one, I think we can notice something in this text about the time of prayer. It says, and in the morning. Now, yesterday morning when I was preaching from Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. I made a statement there, I'll reiterate it, but I want to be careful that you understand me. I understand that there are more times to pray than just now, in the morning. I understand that there are more times to 
endeavor to pursue God than just in the morning. But I made the statement, I, I really believe when you look at the evidence in Scripture, it's the premier time. I think that's an okay statement to make. That shouldn't turn anybody off by an unwarranted dogmatism. But I'd like to just challenge you a little bit this afternoon as we look at the example of Jesus, because I, in this text, I want to show you two things that had this not been his practice. And we're looking at it, of course, from a human standpoint, and that's good because that's right where we are, but two things that he might have missed. Number one, when I look at this, I think that he might have missed something very, very important. He might have missed the refreshing that he so desperately needed. Now you look at this text and back up in it and study it just a little bit. And I think from verse number 21, we're on pretty solid ground when we realize that everything I read until we get down to verse 35 and in the morning takes place in the day before. It says there, verse 21, he went into the Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue. Now, this is not how your day goes, but I'm just going to tell you this is a Sunday. Let, I, I, listen, I understand the difference between Sunday and the Sabbath. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to bring it down to our level, okay? So this is like a Sunday for you and me. Except, of course, that we're not Jesus and don't have quite maybe some of those same responsibilities, but I think you'll be able to identify with this. And this isn't really how the day goes, but we're going to join him in the evening. I'm interested in this because most people clock out at 4.30 or 5 o'clock. Isn't that right? And now I know here you have some shifts and some different work obligations that go into the evening, but you know what I'm talking about. Most people work in the daylight and most people clock out at 5 o'clock. I guess when you're in the ministry and I guess when you're like the master, you realize that you just don't always clock out at 5 o'clock. And so when we back it up a little bit and we see what happened in the evening before, it says there when we look at this verse number 32, and that even when the sun did set. That's a detail you shouldn't miss because basically what's going on is the Sabbath is over at even when the sun did set. So the Jews weren't quite so cagey about violating the Sabbath. And so what happened in the evening? What happened when you and I would be looking to go home and you and I would be looking to kick back and get the newspaper and if you find relaxation in that, but whatever it is, you'd be looking to kick back in that lazy boy and, and just sort of relax at the end of the day. That's right when they come. At even it says, when the sun did set, who came? They brought unto him all that were diseased and then that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together to the door. You know, at five o'clock, six o'clock, whatever it was, the day didn't just end for Jesus. What, a, what an incredible thing. And then especially when you back it up into the day before, and look what it was like. What's a day of ministry like? A Sunday. Well, it says that he went to the synagogue. For us, that would be he went to church. And again, I realize there are some distinctions. Some of you are involved in ministry when you're in your church on the Lord's Day. And, and I, I commend you for that. That's a tremendous thing. You know, you may be involved in junior church. You might be involved in choir. You might be involved in some other aspect of the music ministry. You might usher. You might be in a sound booth. So many things that you can be involved in in your local church. But Jesus is there and he's preaching. And what kind of service was it? Well, it was a service in which there was some satanic opposition. It says there was in that synagogue, verse 23, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. It's not anything you look forward to. I always wondered, what, what would you do if somebody cried out in your service? 
I've had a few strange things happen in services before. I remember one time we had a testimony service. It seems to me like when you open that up, you always have to have a lot of faith. And we had that testimony service, and back over here in our auditorium, a woman stood up. She said, I have a testimony. I thought, "Uh uh-oh. She said, I saw Jesus walking on the ceiling. I don't know. You do have your moments. But I know this, I have often wondered a lot about if our eyes weren't holding and we could see what really goes on around us in church. I'm not talking about what you can see, I'm talking about what you can't see. It had some idea of how the old devil is always around, always trying to thwart. I fight my biggest battle. This is a personal footnote. I fight my biggest battle on Sunday morning. I don't know why that is. I guess it's because I don't feel as well early in the morning many, many times. Well, once I get in there and get, the, get, you know, get going and get the crud out and, and get moving with that thing, I feel better. But I fight such a battle with that so many, many times. I don't know, maybe that's part of God's plan. You realize, you know, you, you, you really do need God, and it's a good thing to realize that. But I often wondered what it would be like if you could see. Probably scare you to death, so maybe it's a good that you can't see. But I know one thing, the devil's moving around. I don't feel like I justify his personal presence, but in this particular instance, it was one of his henchmen. This is a satanic opposition, and it give you some idea of what this day was like for Jesus. He's there preaching in the synagogue, and he's got satanic opposition in that place, and then he's got people coming to him for healing. And then when I went to the church where I, the Lord has privileged me to serve almost 21 years now, I was 35 years old. I'm 56 now, and I know it's not the same. When I go home now after Sunday morning church, I'm about ready to pass out. Well, I can't do that, of course, because I have more to do, but that's about how I feel anymore. So I think to myself, you know, prayer might not necessarily be the answer for physical refreshment, but if I'm going to get up and pursue the afternoon and do the things that I know I've got to do to be ready for Sunday evening and be there and, and as best I can possibly be there at my best and serve God, if I may not have a way to have physical refreshment, sometimes maybe, But if I don't have a way to have physical refreshment, I sure need a way to have spiritual refreshment. Because that verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, I mentioned yesterday, though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. And you know, you can find, and Jesus demonstrates that here, you can find spiritual refreshment from prayer. That's one of the things that God does for us. And had the Lord not had that practice in his life, he might have missed before another taxing, wearying day of service and ministry with people was about to unfold. You know, that might happen with you. And I'll I'll take it another step and mention the second thing. Had he not had that practice of meeting God like that in the morning, he might have missed the opportunity altogether. When I look down here and I see what Peter says, Peter finally found him and he says to the master, verse number 37, when they found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. That tells me the story right there. (laughs) I can't help but smile because it's just the world we live in, but it's crazy. 
And sometimes you just have to sort of figure out what it's like. And as a pastor, you sort of struggle maybe a little bit with this because you know you're a shepherd and you know you love your people. And that's one thing I thank God I can say. I don't guess you can really stay if you're the right kind of person and, and I can only attribute to God's grace anything that's been accomplished in my heart, but you can't really stay in one place as long as I have and not develop a love for your people. And I've occasionally had a, a younger staff member who hadn't been there very long come in and, and begin to see certain faults. Well, I saw, saw them a long time ago. And sometimes, you know, you get hot under the collar when you're young and possessed with all that enthusiasm and energy, and I'm all for it. I wish I could find a way these little kids run around the church. I wish I could get a syringe and stick in there and withdraw some and shoot in. I wish I had some of that sometimes. But they get a hot under the collar, you know, with, oh, brother so-and-so over there, pastor, look what he did, look what he said. And, well, I have to just sort of calm them down a little bit, you know, because... I've been around Brother So-and-So a long time, and I know what you're talking about, but I also know more than that about Brother So-and-So. But this is what my point is. As much as you love people and as much as people are your business, if I can use the term business, you have to watch yourself because good people and good things can crowd God out of your life. That's the way the ministry is. That's the way work can be. This is not just all about the ministry. This is about how a day goes. Did you ever notice how many distractions there can be in a day? Have you ever noticed how when you get busy? I want to tell you a little story, if you'll forgive the personal anecdote. When I came to Bob Jones University, something happened in the first two weeks that changed my life. It may have been the first week. I just really can't pin it quite down. But when I came here, I, I came with, I mean, I wasn't bereft of devotional habit in my life. And I knew what it was to read the Bible. I was a lot younger, obviously, and I hope I've grown since then. But I knew what it was to read the Bible every day and knew what it was to pray every day. And when I was a freshman on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I had classes from 8 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know if that still happens to how your schedule works now. But that's the way it was when I was a freshman. I was never so glad when that, that grade card came out and I had grades good enough to get out of a couple of those tutorials. Not that the tutorials were bad, it's just that was, that was a long stretch from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So what happened to me was this. I got up, I, I didn't necessarily always pursue my devotions in the morning, and I got up and about two or three or four days this happened to me. I got out there and got so busy with the day and got out there and got so busy, and I'd get in those classes and, and the professor wanted this and this assignment sheet said that, and, and I, I didn't want to do poorly in my studies. I heard here is a sin to do less than your best, and I took that to heart, and I didn't want to do less than my best in my studies, and so a couple days I missed my devotions. I made up my mind I couldn't tolerate that. And I only knew one way to solve that problem. They let us get up early. I'm not sure what the rule is now, but they let us get up early. 5.30. Now, it was 11 o'clock. You had to go to bed then, so I know you guys are dealing with a little, little different situation, but I decided I was going to do that. I started doing that as a freshman, and I haven't stopped it. Now, I have varied somewhat, maybe, but usually it's still about that. 
I only tell you that because if I were to look back and tell you any one thing that if you asked me from a, from a human standpoint and a standpoint of experience, if I, if I thought of any one thing that has been a rock-solid foundation under my life and has helped to keep me straight, I'd tell you that right there. Because you can get out there into the day. Now, I know right away what somebody's thinking, well, you don't know my schedule. And I realize there are always exceptions to it. You know, there's some people constitutionally just can't handle that. And of course, there are always people who come along and tell you, well, you know, I'm not a morning person. I'll let you in on a secret. I'm not either. But I, I thought you might be interested in a quotation this afternoon because I know we tend to get defensive about this. The minute somebody starts talking about this and, and the Holy Spirit kind of starts to turn up the heat a little bit, we tend to get a little defensive and we start throwing up all kinds of excuses and reasons why this wouldn't work for me. And I, I've already told you, I realize in some cases it, it may not. But since we tend to do that, I thought you might be interested in a little quotation from George Mueller. You might ask yourself as you hear this whether you think you're more busy than he was. He wrote this, for more than half a century, I have never known one day when I, was not, when I had not more business than I could get through. For years, I have had annually about 30,000 letters, and most of these have passed through my hands. I have nine assistants always at work corresponding in German, French, English, Danish, Italian, Russian, and other languages. Then as pastor of a church with 1,200 believers, great has been my care. I have had charge of five orphanages, also at my publishing depot, the printing and circulation of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But I have always made it a rule never to begin work till I have had a good season with God. I like the way Matthew Henry put it. Matthew Henry said, he that is first and best ought to have first and best. Consider it, would you? At least consider it. Then I think we see something in here about the discipline of prayer. Uh-oh, we've gone from bad to worse. That guy's talking about the morning. Now he's going to talk about discipline. Well, I have news for you. Anybody that stands in this pulpit's cut out of the same bolt of cloth you are. Adamic nature is Adamic nature, right? The flesh is the flesh. I don't think anybody comes into this world born with all the discipline you need. Some people might be more disposed to it than other people are. The discipline of prayer. Now, where do you see that in the text? Well, it says, and in the morning rising up a great while before day. Uh-oh. This language fascinates me because he's already said it was morning. Now, for those of you that like to check this later, it's just sort of interesting. This fascinates me, but the term morning, that's an adverbial form of the word for morning. And what that word means, it's basically a reference to the last watch of the night. So what that tells us is between three and six o'clock in the morning. So that doesn't totally pin things down, but it gives you a pretty good idea. But then this phrase where it says, in rising up a great while before day, he piles up two more adverbs. And this is interesting to me because Mark was a protege of Peter. And when you look at this, Peter was the one that first happened on this with the others in tow. We've already said that they 
saw his example and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I just have to wonder if Peter, seeing this and knowing what Christ's life was like the day before, and he was probably thinking to himself, we need to sleep in this morning, and he wakes up and the master is not there. Where is the master? And finally he goes out and he finds Jesus and realizes what has taken place. And he's telling perhaps Mark about this later. Now Mark is led by the Holy Spirit to record it, of course, we understand that. But he piles up two more adverbs. You know, if you rendered this literally, it would be something like this, and very at night. But the thing about it is we, we don't talk that way, so you might put the word much in and very much at night. The way I look at it was it was dark. That's what he means. It was dark. Now, I don't know what season of the year it was, but I can tell you it gets light early over there, depending. And very at night. And I'll tell you something else. When you look at this text, and in the morning rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, see, our version translates it with a simple past, prayed. And when you translate with a simple past like that, it just focuses your attention on the event. But the tense in the original is the imperfect, and that tense focuses on the ongoing nature of the event, not just on the simple event, but on the ongoing nature of the event. So here's what that means. It means that early, when it was dark, he got up, and he went out to have a season of prayer. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't have a brief prayer here and there. Now, I think about the book of Nehemiah in the Bible, and I'm sure this is not original with me, but I like to think of those little prayers he threw up as flare prayers. And there's a time for that. You know, it, there's a time for that in school. I can remember when I was a freshman, and that deep, rich, melodic voice would say, take out a half sheet of paper. That was time for a flare prayer. He would say, this too shall pass. I would say, I want to pass. <laughs> so there's time for that, time for flare prayer, but there's a time to go beyond that. There's a time to spend time with God in prayer, and that's the picture that we have here. And I'll tell you something, if you decide to try this, what you're going to find is, it doesn't really matter what time of day you do this, you're going to find out prayer's hard work. It takes self-discipline. It's not easy. It takes commitment and it takes sacrifice. Now we're talking about territory that's unfriendly to the flesh. It takes commitment and it takes sacrifice. And if you decide to try this, I just want to give you some encouragement up front. You're going to have some times when you bomb out. I don't know how this happened, but in undergraduate work, I was in Reveal Dormitory all four years. In fact, I was in Second West all four years. So when I decided to do this and I was looking for a place and I went down to the study lounge, I guess it's, it's still a study, I don't know, but I went down to the study lounge and I could tell you about the times I fell asleep. You know, that's the irony of life. When you want to, you can't, and when you don't want to, it just comes naturally. Here's my encouragement to you. Here's my advice to you. When that happens to you, just don't be discouraged by it. The devil uses that all the time to discourage people. You're going to say, I can't do this. I can't do this. If God is leading you to do this, yes, you can. You just get pick up yourself and go back the next day and do it again. If you think that you need some encouragement from some company, I'll tell you a story. Warren Wiersbe tells this story in his book, Preaching and Preachers. It's about D.L. Moody. And he was, I'm sure, a very intense man. 
And after one day, which was particularly strenuous, he came home and they had a man visiting in their home. He and Mrs. Moody would have people visit in the home. This particular man, so I don't know whether this is what he was doing or not. I suspect from the story that it may well have been he passed him the ball and asked the visiting man if he would lead in worship that evening. So the guy got out his Bible and found a particular chapter in the Bible and he, oh, he waxed eloquent on the deep symbolism in that chapter. On and on he went. You know, there's one in every crowd, got to show off. And then it came time for prayer, so he, he led in long prayer. And when this was over, everybody got up from their knees except for Mr. Moody. And the man just thought, well, you know, he's still praying. His wife knew better, he was asleep. That'll happen to you. Don't give up, don't quit. Don't let the devil discourage you. I see this clock up here is related to the one at our church. They're both possessed. <laughs> let me give you the third thought as quickly as I can. There is also the place of prayer. What would it look like if we joined the master at prayer? Well, it says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he departed. He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Solitary. Man alive, that sounds bad, doesn't it? That sounds like solitary confinement. That would break anybody. It just means a place where he could be alone. And I think that's the whole point that's being made here. He just found a place that he could be alone. I'm again fascinated by the language. Look down at your text. It says, he went out and departed. I have to ask myself, why did he have to tell me that twice? Doesn't it mean the same thing? He went out and departed. Why did it say that twice? So I got to checking. The verbs are very closely related, but they're slightly different. Preposition on the front of them is different. A little slight change of the meaning in it so that the first one is describing the fact that he departed the house. And the other one is describing how he went out wherever it was and found that place that he could be alone. And I, again, I take you back. This is not just being pedantic. I think it's it, it's something that was impressive to Peter, as he may have told this to Mark later. And so here you have the picture of the master, and you know, in your dorm room it might be like this, it climbed down out of your bunk and slipped past your roommates to find some place that you can get alone with God. I don't know, he may not have had to tiptoe too much. If they were still at Peter's house, I suspect Peter snored. But that's kind of the picture you have, someone who gives care to just leaving where they are in the house, quietly moving out of the house, no attention drawn to himself, just quietly moving out of the house and then finding his way along some path, some place where he could be alone. He could be alone with his heavenly father. The place. You know, the whole point of this is, just like the whole point is not necessarily unequivocally, dogmatically, the time of day, the whole point is you try to find a place you can be alone with God. Now, you say, this guy's really nuts. I mean, there's all these people around here. How am I supposed to find a place to be alone with God? Well, you just ask God to help you with that. You can do that. This comports very well with what Jesus said in some, another text of Scripture. Listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. 
But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. We heard this morning about a reference to a broom closet. Well, you know, but you don't have to find a literal closet. This word just means an inner room somewhere. The whole point is this. You're trying to get away from distractions, whether they be distractions of pride like Jesus was talking about here. You know, there's some people go on the street corner and try to call attention to themselves, and some people are loud and make a lot of noise to try to draw attention to themselves. And what he was trying to say to them is, you know something? We don't pray to be seen of men. We pray to be heard of God. And if that's going to be a distraction to you, if that's going to be a temptation to you, you've got to find some place where that's not going to bother you. And of course, it says here in verse number 28, immediately his fame spread abroad. And Peter said, all men seek for thee. So he's trying to get away from distractions. People can sometimes be a distraction. That's the point. You've got to try to find somewhere where you're not distracted. Some time ago, I read a very interesting story about Arnold Palmer, and I, I realize generations change, but, you know, he's a little bit more of a, how do I want to put this? Um, if you're looking for a golfing hero, better to go that direction than what we have currently. But anyway, it was a very interesting story. It was retold quoted from a, an article a woman wrote, it was retold in Reader's Digest. It was the 1961 Masters. It was the last round and it was the last hole. It was the 18th hole. And he teed off. He made a shot that he described as being very satisfying. He's very pleased with his shot. Where that ball lay in the fairway, very pleased. Set him up real well for his next shot to the green. So as he approached the ball, he looked over to the gallery, and there was a man there that was an old friend. He knew the man, and the man motioned to him to come over. So he did, and the man stuck out his hand and said to him as they shook hands, congratulations. Arnold Palmer said, he said, I knew right then and there I'd made a mistake. His concentration was broken. His next shot went into a sand trap. Out of the sand trap, he chipped it right over the green, and his putt missed, and he lost the Masters. And in that story, he says, you know, he said, that's the kind of mistake you don't forget. You just learn from it. And he said, in the 30 years since, I have never made that mistake again. That's the whole idea. You're just looking to be shielded to the best of your ability from distractions, because the devil will throw them up all over the place. I'm going to give you one last thing to think about, and this is the result of prayer. I have to cut some of this. I challenge you sometime. You look in, in Luke, look all around the Gospels, and you'll find this was our Lord's practice, finding that place where he could be free from distractions. I wish I had more time. But let me call your attention to the last thing. There's a result that comes of this. There are three examples that I had wanted to call your attention to in Luke. Let me shift you to three things in Mark in this last point. Mark has three examples of the master at prayer. I'm not saying there are not more times when there may be an illusion, but Mark has three examples of the master at prayer. First of all, you have the one that we're at right now. I'm going to show you the three first, and then I want to make a quick point. You turn over to chapter 6, verse 46. Let's look at this verse together. This is about in the middle, so it's kind of interesting. Mark's first example comes in the beginning. Mark's second example comes almost in the middle. 
This follows contextually the the feeding of the 5,000. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 46, here's what the Bible says. And when he had sent them away, that is the multitude, he departed into a mountain to pray. And then we turn to chapter 14, just a few more pages over. Look at that one real quick. This is Gethsemane. And so there's a lot here, but I just want you to see verse 32 quickly. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So here, this is interesting. Three examples in Mark's gospel, one at the beginning, one at the middle, one at the end. And they have a commonality, at least one that I want to call your attention to this afternoon. When you think of the result of it and when you think of it from a human standpoint, in each of these three cases, Jesus was able successfully to avoid a temptation. I talked about this earlier about renewal, the result of prayer. In the first example, what kind of temptation do you think was there? Well, like I mentioned to you, if you can turn back there very quickly, maybe you have your finger, just go back. You look at verse 28, immediately his fame spread abroad. And then you look at that verse 37, and, and Peter said to him, all men seek for thee. So you've got fame and people. It's a good thing he wasn't a politician. I would say that the temptation here could be expressed as distraction. And I've already talked about that, so I won't repeat it. But if you want to know whether or not this season of prayer helped to refocus and recharge Jesus so that the result of it was that he slipped away victoriously from that temptation, look what he told Peter. When Peter put it out there, and you can just see Peter, you know, he's, he's brimming with pride. This is the master. This is the master. And he says, all men seek for thee. I mean, I think he was sort of, you know, kind of excited about the thing. And Jesus said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he slipped away from that, see, because it's always easy to stay in a place like that where there's accolades and attention and it's a distraction, but he had a mission to preach in those other places and he's there. That one in chapter 6, verse 46, you don't have to turn back to it, but the context of that right after the feeding of the 5,000, you, you read John's account of it. John 6.15 says, they were going to come by force to make him a king. How would you describe that temptation? Well, we could call that popularity. Or you could call it position. That's, that's a pull sometimes. Of course, you know, Jesus faced those temptations in a very real way, though he didn't have the sin nature that we do. Those temptations were still real, and he successfully avoided that too. Would you see what it said? He sent the multitudes away and went into a mountain to pray. Now, what kind of sense does that make? Doesn't make much sense to the carnal man, because the carnal man's thinking in these terms. They want to come make you a king. Didn't you say you were king? Jesus had another mission in mind, another concept of the kingdom in mind. And that one in chapter 14, verse 32 we heard already in a sermon that was brought to us about how much he wanted to avoid the cup, the cross, being made for sin, sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And by the time he comes out of that place of prayer, he's got the victory there too. Beloved, I tell you this, I just don't know too many other places you're going to find this, the result of prayer. You're going to find this strengthening and, and renewal in your life that you need in order to, to be successful with God. 
Briefly, let me share with you another little example. Most people are familiar with a little bit, at least, about Eric Little. They know about chariots of fire. They know about that he refused to run on the Lord's Day. They know about the gold medals. It's exciting. He's a hero. He's worthy of emulation in those respects. Sometimes a story doesn't get told a lot farther than that. He was a missionary in North China. And during World War II, he was interned. That's a polite way of saying he was locked up in a camp. And of course, those situations are not ideal. Those circumstances are not good, just as I was describing yesterday morning about David being in the wilderness. Those circumstances are not good. But when you read about his life, here's what he was known for. Even in those adverse circumstances, he was known as a vibrant, victorious Christian who cared about and ministered to other people. So you just can't help but wonder, was he just born on a different day than me or... Uh, he just had different genes or something. What was his secret? Well, there's a woman who writes a biography of Eric Little who tells us what that secret is. Now, I might wonder a little bit about this, except that she tells us that she heard this directly from a, a woman who was also in that camp, whose husband, they were separated while they were in the camp, but whose husband was a friend of Eric Little there, and she heard this directly from him. Let me read you what she writes in the biography. Every morning about 6 a.m. with curtains tightly drawn to keep in the shining of our peanut oil lamp, he used to climb out of his top bunk, past the sleeping forms of his dormitory mates. Then at the small Chinese table he would sit, with light just enough to illumine his Bibles and notebooks. Silently he read, prayed, and thought about the day's duties noted what should be done, Eric was a man of prayer. You might just discover that the secret is not some high-powered seminar. There's always somebody that comes out with some new wrinkle and attracts multitudes and multitudes of people, and not that you can't pick up a, a good idea here or a good idea there, but I'll tell you something, as far as being a man or woman of God, it's all right here. And it's not the complicated things. It's the things like this, and you say, well, I've heard about prayer before. I've heard about the pursuit of God before. I've heard about Bible reading before. I know, but are you doing it? So in this day of seminars, and I'm not opposed to seminars, that's, that's not my point. My point is our infatuation with that kind of thing. Over a hundred years ago, a man wrote a book, Power Through Prayer. I believe the year was 1907. The man who wrote that book, his name is E.M. Bounds. You lose a little paperback, you get it sometime and read it, Power Through Prayer, E.M. Bounds. That'll repay your time, believe me, but it will convict you. He had an interesting quotation. Let me read it to you. God's plan is to make much of the man, far more of him, now man or woman, far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's method. Listen to this. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. And I might not be the first one to tell you this, and I hope I'm not the last, but I tell you what I'm telling you this afternoon is the gospel truth. 
You get in there and do business with God and make of yourself a man of God, a woman of God. And that'll take you places no seminar ever will. That's the foundation that you've got to lay in life. You've got to have that. Anything else that you build on top of that that doesn't have that, you've got a wobbly foundation. It's, it's not going to last you. It's not going to stand the test of time, adversity, and ministry. We're told that in one region of Africa, in the early years, some of the early converts, they were very serious about prayer. And so they would go out into this solitary place and they would each go to a place and after a while, a person who had that habit would make a little path. You, you kind of get the picture of what I'm talking about. And they were known for this. They would go for that season of prayer and each would have his little solitary place and he'd go a little path, you know, and after a while, of course, it beat down the, the grass so that you could see where the path was. And in their zeal, those converts would have a friendly accountability. And so sometimes one would go to another when he noticed maybe, and he would say to him, friend, there's grass on your path. Is there grass on your path today? Nothing wrong with a method if you're first a man or woman of God. Heavenly Father, I still ask you for the same thing I mentioned yesterday, the same thing for which my heart is burdened, that in this generation, as in all generations, we need servants of God who are in earnest about you, people that aren't content to play Christianity people that aren't content just to excuse themselves because they're not called to full-time Christian service, not realizing that every one of us is called to be a full-time Christian. People that are willing to do anything and everything but the thing that really counts. Oh, my Father, I pray this afternoon that you will rekindle this commitment in my own heart And as you use these simple thoughts on the pursuit of God and master prayer to touch the heart of somebody here, somebody there in this student body that would take that challenge, somebody that would say, I want to be a man of God, I want to be a woman of God, My prayer is just what the songwriter said, more like the master I would ever be. Changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Have your will and way. Bring honor and glory to yourself. Erase from our thinking processes anything that I have said yesterday or today that was unhelpful or unneeded. Blow away the chaff. And instead, take what is of use to you and store it up for use in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.